Even the best bands in the world fuck up sometimes. We're talking about the biggest missteps in rock and roll history. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Metal Shop Podcast with me, Big Frog. Me, Mike Castleberry. And this week we are doing the biggest missteps in rock. Very exciting stuff. I think people sometimes like, well, you know, it's fun to talk about shit that you like, Mm -hmm. but there's that, there is a subset of people that they just get really interested in hearing about what you don't like. Right. How something fucked up. Like if you look up like the more popular videos on YouTube... It's never going to be the top 10 greatest Super Nintendo games. It's always the worst Super Nintendo games. Right. Because people want to see, like, oh, did this guy hate the thing I hate, too? Right. Like, there's a camaraderie in hating. Yeah. You know? Right. So, like, if some if there was a, a link that said, um, buy this game now, and then another one that said, never buy this game, everybody's going to click the never buy this game first, because you got to know what the fuck to avoid. Yeah, you're going to go like, oh, how fucking whack is this game? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, it's like I'm, you know, being a San Diego sports fan, I'm almost purely motivated by hate at this point. Like I wake up every day and anytime I see there's misfortune from the Chargers. Right. That just is another good day for me. Totally. So the Chargers are in debt and uh, the Spanos family is fighting because... uh, the sister wants to force a uh, sale be, to uh, recover debts for the Chargers. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be fantastic <laughs> for me. And yeah, you're right. You know, it, it, it probably is something that, you know, with all the losing seasons of all of our teams and losing of teams, you know, yeah, man, we probably do resort to uh, getting 
our, some pleasure out of the things that we hate failing. You know, I love it when the Dodgers lose. If the if one of the Dodgers gets hurt, man, I don't cry about that shit. Whatever, you know, it happened to us last year. Nobody nobody uh, cared about that. So, you know, I'm not my heart's not bleeding for none of these dudes, which um I guess the LA LA fans don't get that or they act like they don't get that. No, yeah, we hate you guys. We hate the Dodgers. It's not, you know, it's not all, you know, friendly right now. No, no, no. Fuck you. Yeah, we wish the worst. (laughs) We wish the worst for them. And so, yeah. Yeah, in that sense, I guess you're right. Yeah. Well, what's funny about that, too, is um, it's a little, for so long, I think it was a very one-sided rivalry. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the Padres, let's let's be honest, the Padres have sucked a mm-hmm. lot more than they've been good. Oh yeah, they've been good maybe three times. Right. And up until this run, they've been what I'd consider really good, bordering on great, maybe three times in my lifetime. And I don't remember '84. Right. I remember the '96 run. I remember you know '98. And then it was fucking dog shit. And then there was a few years in there in the 2000s where we won the division, but it was just because, like, we weren't that great. It was just the other teams in the division were worse. Right. Like, we always, like, we had, we had win the division and then lose in the divisional round, like, immediately type yeah. of thing. Yeah. Now that the Padres are a threat and they're popular, mm-hmm. people, people like, seeing Fernando Tatis Jr. highlights and shit like that. Now, you're seeing the Dodgers uh, fans start to kind of, like, pop up anytime you see something good about the Padres. You see them talking shit, like, oh, you're still going to come down to earth, world champion Dodgers, and then Padres fans are like, yeah, enjoy your uh, half a season ring you won, fuckers. Right. Right. Totally. I was telling Lonnie, because basically I've been alive – as long as the Padres, right? So we go hand in hand. And for the vast majority of those years, we had like one star player. We had Dave Winfield, or we had Ozzie Smith, or, you know, we had uh, Randy Jones, or, and then later on, you know, Tony Gwynn. And then we had like some old guy that used to be a star that came over, you know, Willie McCovey. Or um, Raleigh Fingers or Gene Tennis, you know, dudes like that that won a World Series somewhere else. That team didn't yeah. want them no more, so we got them and, you know, whatever. And, hey. Yeah, Ricky for a minute there. Right. Although Ricky could still play. But, yeah, yeah. He, st- he wasn't the Ricky that he was, you know. We're used to that. So, of course, we're happy, dude. You know, of course, we're happy. We got, like, stars that don't even play every day. You know that we got so much depth now. It's like, yeah, man, we're gonna we're gonna be happy. We're gonna celebrate. And then they, you know, they say, "Well, act like you've been there before." Well, but we haven't been there before. How are we supposed to act yeah. like we've been there before? Yeah, fuck you. I'm happy that we're the first team to 30 wins exactly. this season. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know? This is a high point. Anytime yeah. you see a stat line from a Padres player, it's you know, first time since Babe Ruth mm-hmm. in it. And we just got that with fucking Tatis batting over 750 Mm -hmm. in the last four games and picking up fucking, what, 12 RBI? Right. She is just fucking raking the shit out of everyone. Like, Mm -hmm. that's just an obscene series there. Yeah. But, yeah, but, you know, he had a slow start, you know. Right. And everybody was (laughs) complaining. 
But yeah, I mean, you know, people think, people say, oh, he's going to fall back to earth. You guys are going to fall back to earth, all that shit. Really, I think we're not even really playing that well yet. I think like Machado still got to get hot. Myers could get hot. If a couple of more dudes get hot, man, forget it. We'd be scary good. Scary good. Yeah. Unlike these moves made by these bands. <laughs> <laughs> scary bad moves, man. Scary, scary bad, bad moves. And I'll let you start off. Uh, so we are just talking about this as we're doing some uh, mic check shit. Um, I'm going to start off with uh, what I think was a pretty big misstep on the part of David Coverdale uh, was firing his entire fucking band mm-hmm. after finishing the the White Snake album. Right. They had, I mean, at the time he had no way of knowing this was going to be their biggest album ever. Right. But the fact that you fired everyone and it was literally, it turned out to be the biggest White Snake album. They, you know, this lineup gave him his, the most, you know, the, the biggest peak he ever had since he was in Deep Purple. Mm-hmm. You know, and and then and then some. It was probably it was more popular than his time in Deep Purple, to be perfectly honest. Uh, you know, went five times platinum for reasons that people still have a hard time figuring out. Like it's still like kind of a mystery why he did that. Like it was like he felt the band didn't have his back for something, but mm-hmm. he jettisoned the entire thing, put together a pretty sick touring band for that album. And then it was kind of downhill from there. You know, mm-hmm. once you get in, rid of your entire songwriting nucleus, you know, when you're firing everybody that wrote your best album, you know, the next one, it went platinum, which is, you know, nowadays platinum is like nobody goes platinum. People mm-hmm. don't buy records anymore. So it's a whole different ballgame. But right. that's still a pretty steep drop in sales when you go from five million to one. And then it's just the bottom falls out. You know, after that, and that's when it becomes it's no longer it's no longer really White Snake. It's the David Coverdale band. Mm-hmm. And that's when anytime a band goes from being a band to being basically a backing band for a front man, you see diminishing returns. And that's what you saw with White Snake. You know, it the the follow up album didn't sell as well. It was kind of had mixed reviews saying it didn't sound White Snakey enough. And then Coverdale, you know, takes like takes some time off. He, you know, he releases Slip of the Tongue in '89, puts out what was supposed to be a a solo album that the label forced him to put White Snake on in '97, and then that wasn't even released in the states. So the next album from White Snake in the states was in 2008. Mm-hmm. So he went from '89 to 2008 without any new shit from what was one of the biggest bands in the world uh, towards the end of the '80s. So I think. You know, history played out that it might not have been the best move firing your entire band after they write and record your your most popular record. I don't know where I'm going, but I sure know. Hanging on the promises and songs of yesterday And I've made up my mind I ain't wasting no more time Here I go again 
Just looking at my notes, I find that a reoccurring theme in this um, episode is going to be feelings. You know, these motherfuckers got a lot of feelings about a lot of shit and it caused a lot of trouble. You know, and it, and for Coverdale, it was, he was having throat problems and, and for a singer, that's fucked up because you can't restring a voice. You can't, you know, go get a, go get a tune up. You know, he's he's sitting there thinking, oh, you know, this might be the end. And meanwhile, according to him, the band is, you know, talking about what they're going to do without him, how they're going to, you know, we need to release the album now, you know, because we got to get our money and, you know, all this kind of shit. Again, he had feelings about it. Now, the thing is, when you have such a good uh songwriting relationship with one guy in particular which was John Sykes in this case you gotta kind of put your feelings aside because I mean you know like you know Keith Richards and Mick Jagger never have really liked each other but they know that it takes both of them to really make this thing be legitimate you know so they stick it out and maybe they don't ride together in the limo or maybe they don't see each other backstage they just get up there and they play, they do the fucking thing, you know, and when it comes time to write the songs, they write the songs, you know, um, so yeah, it's going to be a recurring theme through here where I thought sometimes dudes needed to like put their feelings aside about shit and, you know, for the better of the band. Yeah. I mean, everybody, yeah, they're all sensitive artists, you mm-hmm. know got to really massage their egos right which you know that was it's funny when you're david coverdale and now the shoes on the other foot like he went through he he went through being you know in a band with fucking richie blackmore mm-hmm. <laughs> right who is notoriously uh temperamental right and will fire motherfuckers like that and he was just like, well, he got me my start, so I'll deal with it. And then he left to go form Rainbow. It's funny when you get to that point when, you know, maybe it just rubs off on people because we got a couple people from the Blackmore tree that uh, <laughs> made some questionable uh, personnel moves on this list today. So Yeah, I think it's definitely, that's definitely the case. And, and that's where I'll go for my first one. In 92... Uh, obviously, Dio had made some previous mistakes, 
but this time he had gotten it right rejoining sabbath the time was right it really the the initial breakup when he left sabbath after mob rules was for stupid reasons you know ego reasons and shit like that got back with um sabbath and dehumanizer was a great album you know one of the Fuck yeah you know one of one of the best albums that to come out during that time you know and it just so happens that ozzy is you know playing his first of many um this is the end farewell tour farewell shows whatever and there was going to be two shows in costa mesa i don't know why i didn't go but you know i didn't go and bottom line he wanted i don't know if i guess he must have made the call sharon must have made the call or whatever to them to open for him those shows and then they would play some songs together right dio said fuck that shit i'm not opening for fucking ozzy this thing's gonna turn into a reunion and i'm gonna be asked out anyways so like you guys want me to like humiliate myself before i get kicked out of the band is that like you know part of the thing i'm not gonna do that right so he had feelings involved sabbath obviously thought that this was going to lead to a reunion because otherwise why lose your singer over two shows right it's not like they're going to get paid that much for those shows so they were in a bad spot and then as it turns out the reunion never happened so to me the do fuck up well i don't know if the i don't know if there was a do fuck up so much but really you know when you're when you're a musician man and you a gig is a gig and maybe he should have um, been thriving on, you know what? Everybody's going to see how much better singer I am than Ozzy. Or or everybody's going to enjoy the, the, the me with Sabbath part more than, you know, make it competitive or make it something like that and stay in the fucking band because it's going good. And for Sabbath, get a fucking reunion in writing or some shit before you fuck off your thing that you have now for something that might possibly happen, you know, because bottom line, the reunion didn't happen. Ozzy didn't do shit for four years. Then came out with Osmosis, which was a pretty weak album. He, he doesn't play any of those songs anymore. Dio went and did Strange Highways, which was a strange album, you know, with Tracy G and all that. You know, Sabbath went back to playing theaters with Tony Martin um, Dio was playing like the Starlight Bowl, right? Dio uh, opened for Maiden with Blaze Bailey at that time. So, for everyone, everyone fucked up on that one. Yeah, that's a, it's a whole clusterfuck. And really, the only person that comes out good in the end of that one is Rob Halford.
were stepping up and singing for Sabbath when Dio refused to do the show. Right. And there's some video of that that survived, and it's cool. Mm -hmm. And apparently there was even, uh, for a minute, they kicked around seeing if they could get Halford to uh, join up full time. Right. Because at that time, he had recently split with fucking Priest. Right. And shit like that. So (laughs) there's a whole lot of... The 90s were a fucking weird time for uh, a lot of these bands where all of a sudden you have all these iconic singers getting into shit with uh with their you know with their band and with priest it was you know halford had this creative vision uh he didn't feel like he could do in priest so he just wanted to like i'm gonna work on a solo project and the band can be on hiatus for a minute and the record label was like absolutely not Mm -hmm. and he's like well fine i fucking quit judas priest so i can work on on this thing which wasn't that awesome no (laughs) you know no yeah so that, that, in a sense, was a misstep also. Yeah, which was just fucking weird. And and then they do, and, and then Priest comes along, and they uh, find Ripper, mm-hmm. and fucking start the trend of uh, hire the guy from a tribute band. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That other bands have done since then, and then, you know, the movie Rockstar was loosely based on that, and uh, apparently Ripper gets pissed if you bring up that movie around him, which fucking good he's a dick mm-hmm. um but anyway <laughs> speaking of dio uh let's talk about when he fired vivian campbell right <laughs> right because he kind of pulled the reverse blackmore you know, with the singer firing the guitarist on that one mm-hmm. and it really seems like it came from the fact that uh vivian campbell was putting in a lot of work he was very he's clearly the best guitarist that dio's ever had mm-hmm. as far as his solo band mm-hmm. um but you know if you got that's the problem with a lot of these guys when i was saying where it becomes the obviously the band is named dio mm-hmm. so it's his band and it's, you know in a sense it's his backing band but if you want top talent you need to pay top dollar sometimes right and they didn't want to pay Vivian Campbell and Wendy got in Ronnie's ear basically like, well, it doesn't really matter who's in the band. It's your band. Mm-hmm. So they let him go. And same as, you know, with, you know, Coverdale fire in his band. When you get rid of an important piece of the pie like that, your product suffers. Mm-hmm. You know, it had already been suffering because of creative tensions to begin with, mm-hmm. you know, fucking sacred heart was pretty fucking meh right (laughs) you know so you had you know vivian campbell was very clearly not as into this one as uh as he previously was
get rid of your freaking rock, star guitarist. Now, to be fair, Craig Goldie is also pretty fucking good. Mm-hmm. And Dream Evil is a pretty kick-ass album. Mm-hmm. But then it's just kind of, it's not awesome right. <laughs> after that. Right. Um, it kind of gets very formulaic and samey. And it's not terrible, but you stop, you don't see these standout tracks anymore. Right. And, you know, sales start plummeting Mm -hmm. which is why the sabbath reunion happened if dio was like selling out arenas and shit in 1992 on his own he wouldn't have rejoined sabbath Mm -mm. but dio was on a downturn sabbath was on a downturn they're like oh if we rejoin that'll cause a shockwave it's Mm -hmm. like oh shit dio's in sabbath again because people have a lot of love for you know the two Dio albums before that mm-hmm. and then they put together like you said one of the best fucking albums of that of that time period and then mm-hmm. it pissed it all away again yeah firing vivian campbell was a huge fuck up yeah um and it's just that mindset of well once we get rid of that everyone's an interchangeable commodity right and when everybody's an interchangeable commodity you don't have you need a star man like and vivian campbell was a star at that point mm-hmm. and unfortunately I feel like his talents are fucking wasted nowadays, too. Totally. Since he joined Def Leppard, he's kind of playing backseat, you know. Totally playing backseat. In that band, but he's fucking getting paid, so. Mm-hmm. So there you go. And that's the difference. Def Leppard has a lot of loyalty towards their bandmates, you know, other guys not so much. And the thing is, is that, you know, Ozzy started the whole thing of the singer from the band, from the big band, goes solo, gets a hot fucking guitar player, and that's the way, right? And, you know, obviously with Randy, he figured it out enough that he fired everybody else but kept Randy, right? And, yeah. And he gave Randy writing credits, and he gave, you know, Randy pretty much was going to get whatever he had. He wasn't getting paid like a king, but he was getting paid, you know? So Dio kind of went by the same formula, so he got Vivian, and and Vivian was his number one choice. Now, that's one thing that you got to keep in mind. Like when you're a, a, a football team, you pay your number one draft pick. You know that's how you that's how you build a team. You know, so that number one draft pick, man, you gotta you gotta take care of him. And Vivian kills it on the first album. He kills it on Last in Line. Like you said, come the third album. He wasn't happy because the bottom line is Dio was supposed to be a band. Just like Blizzard of Oz was supposed to be a band and didn't turn out to be a band. Dio was supposed to be a band. And and they were supposed to get paid like a band. But the first album was all financed by Dio, right? So of course he needs to get his money back because he's the one that spent put up all the money. And if it was a flop, he would have lost his ass, right? So, yeah, understandably, he needs to recoup, but then he said, I'll get you on the next one, and then he didn't get him on the next one. That's where everything fucking started to fucking implode, and Dio was bitter about it because, you know, he's like, you know, Vivian was still in the band for Sacred Heart, but he, you know, and he's so capable, but he didn't really bring it to, uh, on that album, and, like, he doesn't understand why, and I totally understand why. I once told, uh, my boss at at the bowling alley i go hey man you pay me what is eight bucks an hour you're getting eight bucks an hour worth of work dude i'm not gonna fucking kill myself for your little eight bucks you know hey 
it is what it is and then uh and you know and again it didn't work out for anybody either because um you know vivian tried to do a solo thing it didn't really work out you know he joined white snake for a minute it didn't really work out you know now he's good because now he's in Def leopard and he and he's uh touring with last in line which is a great band by the way you get a chance to see him last in line go see him live especially but it took a while and then with dio yeah craig goldie was good but for whatever reason people didn't like him you know, Wendy Dio and Dio had seen that, hey, look, Ozzy got Jakey Lee still going strong. Ozzy got, you know, Zach still going strong. You know, Zach, it does, so he thought he could do the same thing. And maybe he didn't pick the right dudes. Maybe it's just, uh, I think it's kind of hard also to write in that style that Dio writes it and keep it fresh. So there's a lot of things, but definitely having Vivian on board for a longer time and a happy Vivian would have helped. Yeah. And keep in mind, it's not like he Dio plucked a guy from out of complete obscurity in to join his band. He it was interesting some of the parallels between Dio and Ozzy. Mm-hmm. Where you know, Ozzy went and snagged Randy Rhodes from uh Quiet Riot before Quiet Riot was big. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Vivian Campbell had already made it a little bit of a name in Sweet Savage. Mm-hmm. You know, so he had, you know, new wave of British heavy metal cred. Like, you know, he, he later one of his so- one of his songs was covered by Metallica. Right. Um, you know, so he had a little he had some of that cred, mm-hmm. which when you think about that, maybe I guess him joining Def Leppard makes a little more sense in the context that, you know, if you look it up, you'll probably find that Sweet Savage and Def Leppard probably played on the same bill way back in the day in the late 70s or some shit, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, but yeah, if, I don't know, you pick a guy and you go, okay, this is a guy that's got a little bit of metal cred. Um, yeah, I, I want him to be my dude. You got to pay the dude. Yeah, <laughs> so. for sure. One of mine is um, Anthrax. And it's weird that I would say that because everything worked out for Anthrax. You know, they became one of the big four, albeit probably the least popular of the big four. But still, mm-hmm. you know, they made they made that top four. But I thought that they could have been better and, and cut their own niche, so to speak. Because like Fistful of Metal came out in 84... And it wasn't really like a thrash album per se. It had more melody. It had more vocal lines, you know, than, you know, Metallica or Slayer or, or Megadeth. But people didn't like the singer. Um, Neil Turbin, he was, he was a pretty much a screamer. And a lot of people didn't like him. As it turns out, the dudes in Metallica were telling Anthrax to get rid of him. And once again, Eddie Trunk who was around at the time, worked for Megaforce Records, was telling them to get rid of him, too. So, Eddie Trunk's got his ha- has had his hands in a lot of shit over the years. Can we talk about the fact... I swear to fucking Christ, dude. Eddie Trunk is like... Has this guy just been, like, in, like, music and, like, somehow giving advice to metal bands since he was, like, 12 yeah. or something? Like, it's like... Because he's t- he goes back to, like, how he was working, like, in, you know for such and such records and pushing really hard to get uh, for uh, Ace Freely, uh, Freely's Comet album and trying really hard to get that 
us, you know, going. And it's like, you were a fucking child. Like, it's like this guy was just like this weird fucking rock and metal savant Mm -hmm. that got into the music business, like, super young. Yeah. Because he must have been, like, super early 20s at the oldest with, like, the Ace Freely thing. Right. Right. But, yeah, it's just so weird that, you know, even back then, it's like Eddie Trunk is always around just like, hey, you should get so-and-so for your band. You should yeah. get so-and-so for your band. And <laughs> you should got to kick this guy out. And then yeah. everybody keeps calling him a fucking little tool. Right. <laughs> Regardless. Right. Yeah. So um, so they did. They got rid of him. They got Joey Belladonna, who's a great singer. And then um, they put out an EP called Armed and Dangerous. And... What that was basically was like some songs from the first album live and with uh, with Belladonna and it sounded a lot better. And then the song Armed and Dangerous, which, uh, you know, and Belladonna put a lot more melody into those older songs. And on Armed and Dangerous, it's a very melodic song. It's got a picking intro with singing you know, if I put it on right now, which I will on the thing, you won't know that's Anthrax at all. You know, it sounds kind of like a band that was really into like Dio or or uh, the Sabbath uh, years uh, with Dio.
know, because it's got the uh, the soft, the slow intro, and then of course it gets heavy, and whatever. But there's like singing choruses and all that, and that was it. And that's the EP. And so I figured the next album was gonna be just like that. You know, um, it would be uh, that type of uh, not a th- not necessarily a thrash album, but you know, like a classic metal type of album. And it wasn't. It was more thrashy. Um, then Among the Living was even more so than that. They went from like singing choruses to like those weird like shouting choruses like NFL, nice fucking live. You're fucking, I am the law. You won't fuck around. You know, it, it changed to um, a different thing that I didn't like as much. Not that it wasn't good. It was good and I liked it and I still go see Anthrax and everything. But. I felt like they could have cut their own niche and been their own thing. And instead of being like, you know, the fourth part of the big four. And then also they did like, I'm the man. And then they did um, SOD. And then they did the song with Public Enemy. And to me, it just, that just kind of made them kind of like a joke band. Kind of, you know, and whatever. So... You know, right on for Anthrax. I like Anthrax. You know, I go I go see Anthrax whenever they come around. But I just thought they could have been better. Yeah, Anthrax, I've never been a big fan. We've talked about that before. I usually call it like the big three plus Anthrax. Yeah. You know? um, <laughs> they're, they're, I don't know. Maybe it's just because of, like like you said, when they were with Public Enemy. The problem with that is the song is cool. Um and Public Enemy always had, like, a really cool image, except you got Flavor Flav as the hype man. Mm-hmm. So that instantly makes it look like it's supposed to be funny. Mm-hmm. Like, even when you're talking about, like, real deep social issues, you still got the big clock guy going, like, yeah, boy! Yeah, At the exactly. beginning of shit. So it's like, why are you trying to make it funny, you know, when yeah. you're talking about shit? It's weird. And that's all Flavor Flav really did. Like, he wasn't really a rapper, per right. se. He was their hype man. Yeah. Which was a thing back in the day. Um, but I think between doing stuff like that, and I remember Anthrax having, like, a cameo on, like, an episode of, like, Married with Children. Right. Where uh, there's, like, the house party type of thing. This is all I remember from Anthrax back in the day, was seeing them on Married with Children in the house party and fucking partying with Kelly Bundy and shit like that. So they routinely made made decisions that made them like they're supposed to be the funny band of the big four. And I don't think they're trying to be funny. Right. It's just there's a just an image problem mm-hmm. with some of that shit. Like, I don't I don't want to say he looks funny, but Scott Ian definitely looks weird. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like the beard thing was always weird. And like, I don't know. I think their whole image is what was off putting to me. Which, speaking of image, I forgot to write this down. Uh, let's talk about the fact that uh, one of the biggest missteps in fucking history has to be Billy Squire. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that, uh, what is it, Rock Me Tonight? Rock Me is Tonight, that the song? yeah. That, fu- I never, this is never, <laughs> I don't think this has happened before or since where a music video just fucking ruined a dude mm-hmm. i don't know if there's anyone that could have pulled that video off um no but <laughs> yeah no. 
it, you guys can't see the look on Frog's face when he was. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. And why would but, you want to? That's the thing. Is why would you want to? Yeah. That was. It was. You know, he's saying. You know, it's the director made the call on that, which true, but what the fuck, dude? Like mm-hmm. at some point, like if you're doing a. Now I'm not a smart man, per se. But if I'm, let's say I'm Billy Squire and it's 1980, what the fuck ever. Right. And wardrobe gives me a pink tank top. And now the directors tell me to fucking dance around a room barefoot in a pink tank top. I'll be like, hey, um, I feel like this is going to fuck up my career. Right. Because before that, like, okay. It's interesting because we we noticed that in the Van Halen group that uh, people have a real attachment to Billy Squire still. For sure. But uh, for sure, he's he's way better he, than you, dude. Yeah, he's better than me. Uh, <laughs> but here's the thing with Billy Squire: he was macho rock for wussy dudes. Right. Um, wussy guys could pretend they're rocking hard listening to Billy Squire. Like you know, Stroke Me has stupid lyrics too. Yeah. But it's got that cool fucking riff. Yeah. And, you know, shit like that to it. And it's got that crunch, you know, right. in it. So it's like, if you take away the, it's like, is this guy singing about trying to get a hand job? Like, it's, yeah. It's whatever, you know. I already had a lot of questions about Billy Squire before the Rock Me Tonight video. So yeah. it was one of those things where, you know, there was already, he was already, uh, I was already speculating about this guy. And then he does that. <laughs> Yeah, but then it was before that he was very. But the thing is, is he was super popular, and he had kind of a niche, and he was all over MTV all the time, and you know, even even gimmicky shit like that. Christmas is the time to say I love you song. People liked it, you know. There's like the video of him singing that with the whole crowd and getting into a Christmas rock song and all that. So he was super popular. And then that video came out and it was fucking done. Mm -hmm. Like dudes were like, and this is the homophobic Mm eighties. Dudes saw that and was like, that's fucking gay. Mm -hmm. And chicks saw that and went, dude, that's fucking gay. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't like chicks saw that. And it was, it wasn't like Vince Neil wearing makeup or, you know, like poison or anything like that, where they put all, they got all glammed up, but chicks still liked it. It's like, everybody looked at that and were like, Oh man, that's fucking weird and fruity. Mm-hmm. Like chicks were not turned on by it, and guys were like, "What?" Mm-hmm. Good for him that he still has a lot of money and this and that. Mm-hmm. But dude hasn't sold a fucking album since like 1988 type yeah. of thing, you know? Yeah. So wow. it really, it really did shut him down. It really did shut him down. And like you said, the funny thing is, a few years later people would be really receptive to a lot of effeminate stuff. But it had to be over-the-top effeminate. It couldn't be like, hey, I'm just naturally effeminate, right? Yeah. That was was, bad. It looked like, the problem was, is it looked like a child dancing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) type of thing. It wasn't just the, the, where people could see that as gay it's like, this looks like when, like, a little kid puts on music and dances by themselves. Right, like, when nobody's it looking. Was, 
Yeah, like this is where <laughs> dance like no one's watching came from or something because <laughs> it's right. just funny. Yeah. It's just the like the funniest damn thing. And I, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because it's unfortunate because he seems like he's a really nice guy. Yeah, but the good thing for him is he has a lot of defenders. So yeah, no shit. He'll be happy to know that. All right, my next one is Queensryche. Queensryche, as I've said many times on here, was getting ready to be my favorite band. I thought that EP that they put out was epic. I still think it is. It's, it's fucking great. I love it. And then the warning came out, and I liked it still. I, I thought, fucking yeah, okay, this is awesome. It's kind of a continuation. It's a little bit not as heavy, but that's okay. And then Rage for Order came out, and it had a few songs that I loved, a few songs that were eh, and a few songs that I hated. One of the songs that I hated is is uh, called Gonna Get Close to You. Really, that's a really stalkerish song, and there's like three or four other very stalkerish songs on that record. So I don't know if Jeff Tate was like going through a weird breakup or something, but it, it was on his mind, stalking bitches was on his mind during that time. Yeah. So I didn't fuck, I didn't like that album that much. because I didn't like the songs on it but because I didn't like the direction that it was going it was getting more proggy and more weird whatever uh then empire came out and empire was a hit empire had jet city woman silent lucidity best I can so now this is a triple platinum album and now I'm asked out because what I said they should do was obviously wrong because their fucking got their biggest selling album is what I didn't want it to be, which was, um, you know, metally but more progressive. And then what the um, critics would say they had a mature sound now. 
Well, I didn't want a fucking mature sound, you know, but whatever. And I felt like all these um, moves were orchestrated by Jeff Tate. That's because originally he didn't like metal to start with. That wasn't, you know, they talked him into that and whatever. And it seemed like as soon as he, you know, got hold of the of the steering wheel, he started steering it off this way. It started working, you know, and they were selling more albums than they probably ever planned to. And so he's like, yeah, guys, get on my back and I'll show you the promised land, you know, or whatever. But that was really the height of it. And then, um, I mean, Operation Mindcrime was cool. I liked that. And uh, I saw them that year. They opened for Metallica. It was awesome. And I thought maybe they would be headed back towards, towards metal style. But no. So then they they released Promised Land. I didn't buy it. I didn't like it. That was 94, 95, 96, whatever album. I didn't buy those or whatever. By 03, I saw them at the 4th um, and B with Lenny. And 4th uh, and B was a cool venue downtown. And they switched it up a bunch of times. Like the style that they were going for. And during this time, it was very loungy. They had couches in the back and weird shit. And so me and Lenny sat on the couch and like basically stood up for like two, three songs. And the rest of the time, we just fucking sat on the fucking couch. And we were just like, fuck, this fucking sucks. It was fucking unwatchable, unlistenable. I said I would never see them again. And I didn't until because they continued like that for like 10 more years. You know, Jeff Tate was all in it. His wife was the manager. His daughter was the merch person. You know, everything ran through him. And finally, they got rid of his ass. And now they're metal again. So it took 10 years to, to make the right move. But I think that at the end of the day, maybe following Jeff Tate wasn't a misstep. But following him off the cliff definitely was so you know and all i can say is that they wasted a lot of time but you know at least they're back now so that's cool yeah i mean it really you know with queen's reich i really dig you know queen of the reich and shit like that mm -hmm. but it quickly turns into something i'm not a big fan of mm -hmm. yeah when you're when you grab a guy that happens to be recording with his band in the same studio as you mm. uh, to be part of your project and he's not really into the, the style, mm. um, it's going to eventually not work, you know? Mm. Like, yeah, he they had huge success with him. So that's why you're going to stick by him. But, yeah, like you said, falling him off a cliff or I'd say ceding so much control of the band to him mm -hmm. would be the big misstep because he's going to keep taking it in a direction and keep, like you said, his wife was the manager. His daughter was like, everything went through him and then eventually he's gone mm -hmm. and they're able to revitalize themselves um, live at least mm -hmm. because of that. Cause his fucking energy is just, was not there anymore. Like he was just not into it mm -hmm. for a very long time. It seems like, Right. Um, also, too, the when you have that type of a voice, that's just not going to last forever. And so maybe some of the songs he said he didn't want to sing anymore, maybe because he couldn't sing them anymore. 
you know, that also comes into play, and I'm not sure which one's which, but that also come, is, is part of it. Yeah, I mean, I also think there's no excuse because, yeah, you can't preserve your voice forever, but if you give a shit, you figure out how to work around it. Mm-hmm. Um, Halford can't sing like he used to. Mm. He just changed how he sings some of those songs. Mm-hmm. And maybe he does it a little more in his low registers or this and that. But Ozzy did the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, um, where, yeah, like when uh, when Sabbath finally did reunite, if you listen to the reunion album, when they do Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, he sings it lower mm-hmm. than he did back because he couldn't the way the uh, vocals go. They go up, 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 up in the in the verse he just kind of changed up how he delivered it. Mm -hmm. And it's also on, on the band to work around that. Mm -hmm. If you have a guy that can't quite do what he's doing, uh, previously, you kind of got to fuck around and maybe, um, play it in a different key or something like that. So it doesn't, yeah. Tune, you know, down tune it. So it doesn't, it's not as egregious sounding, Mm -hmm. which leads me to, I had a couple that I just wanted to briefly talk about before, I get to my my number number one mm. when Maiden hired Blaze Bailey. Uh, yeah, that's that's a fuck up for me because they they hired a guy where he can't. The fuck up with that too. It wasn't just they hired a guy that couldn't sing the songs, mm-hmm. which is a fucking problem. It is. You need to like hire a guy that can pull off this the fucking songs. Yeah. That's why at the time when there's speculation. A lot of the speculation, oh, who's going to replace Bruce? Magazines at the time all thought they were going to pick up the dude from Halloween to to step in because he would mm-hmm. fucking do it. Blaze Bailey comes in, he can't sing the songs like Bruce. He couldn't even <laughs> he couldn't even sing the the songs like Paul Diamano. There was a problem there, and the band was doing him no favors. They, you know, a lot of people when you watch those videos of those shows, like they talk about, yeah, this isn't great, but. You know, the rest of the band could have fucking downtuned mm-hmm. or something to try to make those songs fit instead of playing everything exactly the same and then having his voice that's just not made for those songs in it. It was just a it was a bizarre, baffling decision that was made. Right. Where every other band I've seen, when they get a new singer, a lot of times it's a guy like they replace a guy that was originally a little vocally limited so yeah like we we're not a big fan of sammy hagar era van halen but he could sing the roth songs and he has technically a better singing voice he couldn't sing them like roth Mm -mm. but he could sing them live and it would sound good Mm -hmm. when dio took over in sabbath it wasn't quite as good but he could sing the aussie songs and it's not all shitty sounding right and then when ian gillen stepped in he could sing those songs mm-hmm. and then, you know, Tony Martin could sing those songs. Right. You know, or when Brian Johnson joined ACDC, he could sing all the all the previous material. It was just this weird move where, OK, we're going to write some songs that fit his voice. But the live show was just bullshit because of it. Like you couldn't you got a guy that can't sing most of your catalog the way the audience would actually be into it. Right. And it was just a. You might as well put the band on hiatus <laughs> for a few years at that point. And the thing about that one is that they 
did and they did an album which wasn't good and then they did the tour which made it clear that he couldn't do the Bruce songs so you would think that they would just part ways then but instead they did another album and another tour and I think it was because they saw that the Bruce shit while it was way better really wasn't you know selling like hotcakes either so there was an idea that he might come back well, maybe if we just do one more with this dude then he'll come back and and we can you know go go stronger again which did in a sense although it did take them a little while to get their get their bearings back once once uh, Bruce came back that whole thing might have been better served if Bruce just never left you know because the albums that Bruce put out sounded like sound like Iron Maiden but soft softer so I don't think and and not a lot of classic songs from that era no classic songs from uh from the blaze well there's one uh, oh yeah the Klansmen. yeah that they they started having Bruce do live right uh, recently, and it's honestly, it's it's a fucking cool song. Yeah, with uh, Bruce singing. Although, fuck, you need a better name than the Klansman. Yeah, for a song. I mean, it's about William Wallace, right? And he's a Scottish Klansman, right. but that's yeah. I mean, you didn't spell it with a K, but there's a fucking connotation in this. Yeah, States. it's been co-opted. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Okay, I'm going to go for one that you brought up. And it's funny because um, I have a... In my car, I still have the iPod. It's an old iPod, the big fat black one that has like 80 gigs, right? So um, the battery doesn't work anymore. It has to be plugged in all the time. So I have a little wire that goes to my lighter or whatever. But it has all kinds of shit on it. And so when my, if I'm driving and the album that I'm listening to ends, I just kind of reach into the uh, center uh, thing and just click the buttons, you know, and just try to get something to play. And, so, and it's weird what, what comes up. And in this case, I guess I clicked albums, play all, right? So it goes in, al- it goes through the albums in alphabetical order, right? So it was badass because on on that, um, starting with A, you know, I have Ace of Spades plays, 
Rush, a show of hands, Assault Attack, Michael Schenker, you know, and Alchemy, Ingve Malmsteen, right? It's not an album that I really ever listened to. It's, you know, I have every Ingve album because I'm an Ingve fan, whatever, but, you know, I basically listened to the first three, you know, most of the time. Uh, I'll throw in that Jolene Turner one, you know, or whatever, but this is a later one. And it's got all, you know, it, it's really high-level guitar. He's fucking shredding as fuck. But outside of that, it's basically like a power metal album, you know? And most of Yngwie's good albums were power metal albums. And then that Jolene Turner one is more of a pop metal album. And then, like you said, famously, uh, he turned into Singve, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now now he now he's singing on his own shit and and it's really bad. On the albums it's kind of auto-tuned. It's not all the way auto-tuned like like uh R&B auto-tuned, but it's just, you know, it's keeping him in key and but it still doesn't sound good. can't sing those uh those old songs at all so basically he's got this dude in his band named nick marino right and nick marino stands off in the corner and he he's got a keyboard which he plays and he's got a guitar strapped on him which he plays the rhythms on some songs keyboards on other songs and he sings the power metal songs okay so he's obviously a really talented guy because he could do all this shit, but he doesn't have the charisma or the look or whatever it is necessary to be a rock star, so much so that he doesn't even have his own Wikipedia page, right? <laughs> but he's doing all that shit. He's not the best singer in the world, but he's way better than eBay, right? So it's like, well, why just not have him sing on the album? Well, the answer is because he doesn't want to pay for a singer to sing on the album. So he does it himself. And that basically means that he can do anything he wants except be power metal Ingve, which is what everybody wants. But he can't do that because he can't sing that. And so now not only are the albums not going to be that, but as he increasingly sings more, 
the live shows are not going to be like that. He's going to have less and less of the songs that I fucking like. So uh, we're left with you're just you're just here to see Eve play. And unfortunate that's unfortunate because while that's badass, it used to be so much more than that. Yeah, I mean at this point it's a fat guy that can't sing playing guitar real fast. Like mm-hmm. that's yeah, there's plenty of dudes just doing that in their garage. Like, you know, <laughs> um, no one wants to see that. No one wants to buy that. No, like he he's decided he can maximize profit by not having to pay anybody. And he can sell a handful of albums and like make his car payments that way. Right. Like, instead of selling, you know, more, but not, you know, I guess he's figured out a, uh, a method to the madness mm-hmm. as far as how much he gets paid. Right. And Ingve is just the dude has a ego, and I've seen other people talk about it. When you get to this point where it's just him, basically, I've seen people say, "Like, man, imagine being like the best fucking guitar and the guitarist in the world, but you also don't know how to write a song." Right. And that's basically Ingve. Like he he can shred, mm-hmm. but it's that has diminishing returns too. Like you can only see so much of that. And just you get bored. Mm-hmm. And if the songs aren't good, you, who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. You know. And when he works on other pro- projects, he's not putting a lot of effort into it. It's like when he did that Dream On thing with uh, Dio. When they did that, it's like he he didn't really add to the song. Mm-mm. He just did Ingve shit he through just, it. Yeah, he shreds all over it. Yeah, and it's like, okay, that's impressive, but it didn't make the song better. Mm-mm. It just was there. You know, the the star of the show was Dio's voice. Right. And, you know, that could have been Once Upon a Time. That could have been a sick pairing for a record. That would have oh, been like yeah. a new rainbow. Oh, yeah. Type of thing. But And supposedly there was some talks about that way, 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 way in the past of kicking around, doing something together like that. But it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just a shame because he's a very talented guy that I feel like squanders his talents and just doesn't care anymore. So before I get to my my pick, I had a couple of dishonorable mentions. We talked about, you know, speaking of Ingve, we've talked about it a little bit before this year, the two Alcatraz situation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, we've talked about before, the way ACDC cut loose brian johnson for a little while there just just fucking shitty i understand that he had to doctor's orders type of thing um and they brought him back and the new record is pretty fucking good but during that interim man they just acted like he was just some dude instead of like an integral member of the band Mm -hmm. for decades i mean talk about kiss i mean the easy go-to is the elder (laughs) <laughs> you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was that almost ruined their careers to the point where when they put out a badass album after that nobody bought it right uh, and they had to get rid of the paint and do a gimmick change to get people to buy the record and paul even says to this day it's a shame that lick it up was the one that revitalized our career instead of creatures of the night because creatures was better right i think he probably says that because it's a shame that the one that revitalized their career uh had Vinnie Vincent on the record. I think that's probably why he's saying that, but yeah, <laughs> what else? Uh, Diamond head. I wanted to just for a minute. There was uh, the fact that they couldn't stick to a style 
they really had something with lightning to the nations and then they started chasing other people's success and every album after that was just not very mm-hmm. great you know it was they could have been one of the biggest bands in the world with the right management and the right direction right Instead, they just were, they started becoming like a second rate Death Leopard mm-hmm. and then just basically went defunct for a long time. Those are my dishonorable mentions. Uh, before I get to my top pick, I don't know if you had any dishonorable mentions you wanted to get. No, in but I could get in uh, on yours a little bit. Um, you know, there's sometimes in what we've already talked about with White Snake and Sabbath where the management was like too involved, where. You know, oh, we're going to call it this. You know, we're going to do this. Sometimes in other cases, it seems like the management wasn't involved enough because somebody has to fucking be sober driver to fucking steer the fucking car, you know. And and if you're in it, sometimes you can't see, you know, what's going on. First of all, Diamond Head should have stuck to their guns, done what they do. And then just waited a little bit longer and they would have got that fucking Metallica endorsement and they would have been ready to capitalize on that shit. Because, I mean, a lot of people heard about Diamond Head all at once. And if you, if they would have been ready to fucking blow up, they, they could have done that. Um, as far as the Kiss thing, the beginning of the end was Unmasked. Because Unmasked was a shitty record and it didn't do well. And so they felt like they needed to change it up, but they just totally shit the bed with, with the change up, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so, like you said, then they came back strong with Creatures of the Night, but it was like too late. It was like, you already burned us. 
So we're not going to fucking uh, go with you on this next one, which is a shame because it really is one of my um, one of my favorite Kiss records, Creatures of the Night. I, yeah, I'd say it's probably my favorite just from a studio album standpoint. Like there's Kiss didn't have the greatest studio albums right. for a very long time. You know, it's all about like you get the you know, you get Kiss Alive one and two and you're generally fucking good. Right. You don't really need the album versions of those songs because the Alive versions are so much better. Whereas Creatures of the Night is a just a really fucking good sounding album. Right. And had really good production quality and all the, the songs were there. image just wasn't and that was the problem is the fact that you know um like you said they shit the bed they -hmm. shit the bed twice in a row you know dynasty isn't as bad as people say it is um yeah they you know right it was the quote disco kiss album but you know then they you know so they they're all they're kind of coming off of that and then they do unmasked and unmasked was it just sucked. It was boring. It was that was the it was the that was the worst part about it. It wasn't it was just boring. And then they're like, Well, we need to do something different. And the original idea was to do something like Creatures of the Night, and then somehow they end up doing a stupid fucking concept album that's just bad, you know, like <laughs> and it's just funny. And they fucked up on that. Like, maybe one one day we'll do like a listen along episode of the, of of the elder and do the try see you know what I did the challenge before of uh, try not to laugh. Yeah, listening to the elder and you're like I I fucking tapped out like immediately because for me it's like you get through the intro and then you know the second you get to Paul Stanley like I am just a boy like (laughs) I'm like what the shit. Um, and then everybody's like, they always talk about, well, this probably would have made more sense if that elder movie got made. It's like, but would it, it just sounds like there was going to be a shitty movie too. It's kind of like the legendary, uh, how David Lee Roth was working on a, uh, crazy from the heat movie that never happened. Like (laughs) it wouldn't have been good. Right. (laughs) You know? And, uh, we've already seen kiss in a movie. Like we already saw kiss meets the phantom. Yeah. And that shit was bad. So I can't imagine had the elder, the all the media that was supposed to happen for it come together. I can't imagine it suddenly crystallizing as a project no. that made sense. No, but uh, 
I mean, that's the that's such an easy pick with with Kiss. You know, a lot of people also say the um, the solo albums. I say it's half of a misstep, just because yeah, it helps fragment the band a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you got a really kick-ass Ace Freely album out of it, right? And the Paul Stanley album's fun. Mm-hmm. You just you just got two more that are kind of middling to you know, and then the the Peter Chris one is, you know, if you adjust your expectations and just listen to it, not expecting anything to sound like Kiss, it's not yeah. terrible. Like right. it's just like kind of a, it's the shit he's into, right? So it's it's like more yacht rocky and yeah. I don't know it's more that generic seventies sound type of thing. Well, there's some stuff on it that it's 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 pleasant to the ear. It just doesn't sound anything like Kiss, and that was the problem. Right when you're promoting the Kiss solo albums, you know. The funny thing about that is the guy that produced Peter Chris's solo album then produced Unmasked. And decided that Peter Chris was too fucked up to play on it. So Anton Fig played on it. And so basically it's like, yeah, you know, you went from, okay, I pick you to produce my album. And then he's like, yeah, but you don't get to play drums on the next Kiss record because you suck too bad or whatever. Yeah. So that's kind of fucked up. As far as the Alcatraz thing, you know, they, they're going through another thing again where, you know, I mean... Right from the beginning, it was supposed to be um, a project for Graham Bonnet. Uh, Ingve thought it was a project for him, right? But the rest of the band thought it was a band. And the direction of the band was supposed to be heavy. Now, ever since Rainbow, we've known that Graham Bonnet doesn't care for heavy metal. And doesn't, you know, even care for shredders. So... Again, it was one of those Queensryche things where fucking um, there was a disagreement about what it was supposed to be in the first place, you know. And now that uh, Graham Bonnet's gone, Gary Shea, who's a keyboardist, is, you know, doubling down, talking about, hey, you know, I, I drew the Alcatraz logo. I named the first album. I named the second album. I really had a lot to do with this shit. You guys, you know, I wrote all, all on all the songs. You know, he's like, you guys don't realize it, but in essence, it was kind of my band, <laughs> you know. And yeah. um, and now we've got Doogie and we've got Joe Stump and they love metal and I love metal and we're a metal band now. So get ready for Metal Alcatraz because it's coming down the pipe. <laughs> oh, well, that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to the other Alcatraz and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> so for my main one that I wanted to talk about, uh, we went a little longer than I anticipated, but fuck it. There's a few to pick from with Metallica. One that I think a lot of people, if you go on a pure Metallica basis, that people point out is just the fucking sound of St. Anger and the, the fucking trash can drums mm-hmm. and the uh, purposely making it sound like it's a fucking garage band or something. Mm-hmm. But whatever. The Napster debacle mm-hmm. of 2000, 2001 with Metallica suing Napster and suing their own fans. And mm. really, for a band that got big in the tape trading circles and all that to be like, all right, fuck you. 
it rubbed a lot of their fans the wrong way. Um, the way they went after the fans because of file sharing, you know, and mm-hmm. little things like that. And it's stemming from the fact that someone got a hold of I Disappear and leaked that onto Napster before it was even put out as a single. And that's what fucking set them off. Right. Um, so whoever did that, that's a dick move. You don't fucking steal people's music. And, you know, that is that is stealing. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot. There is people out there that feel like they're just entitled to content, you know, mm-hmm. um, granted, we we get advanced copies of a lot of stuff, but still. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know that's a little hypocritical, but totally. I understand why they get pissed about that. But at the same time, I think because of that led to these days how they put so much free content out on their YouTube channel and shit like that of mm-hmm. like here's here's demos of songs here's here's every fucking live show we've done in the past decade practically like they put out so much free content now mm-hmm. I think they kind of learned their lesson from the Napster thing and I think that really helped eventually get a lot of goodwill mm-hmm from fans and everything else after that. But um, more than anything else, that f- it's we've talked about it before. It's the single worst album I've listened to in my entire life. It's the Lulu album with Lou Reed. <laughs> it's fucking piece of shit. Unlistenable. Just fucking garbage. It's I hate Van Halen 3. Like, Van Halen 3 pisses me off when I listen to it. And it doesn't even remotely piss me off as much as trying to listen to lulu right i can make it through van halen 3 i don't like it i did it for the episodes we were doing counting down all the records Mm -hmm. i was like fuck it i'm gonna listen to this thing from beginning to end and that way i can have an opinion on it Mm -hmm. i tried to do this with lulu recently Mm -mm. i was like i need to listen to it from beginning to end i couldn't even finish the first fucking song it's fucking awful and I don't know if this was like Lou Reed in his Twilight years trying to troll people and be like, I'm going to put out the shittiest album in recorded history and then die. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's I don't know, man. It's I mean, the single was The View and that's fucking terrible. But I didn't get it pe- get past Brandenburg Gate and the whole thing is ass. Uh, <laughs> right. So that's I'm sure. Th- I mean, there's other things. There's other missteps that people have made in their career that are like Dave Ellison getting fired for jerking off on camera mm-hmm. with a girl that may or may not have been of age. We don't know. And getting fired from Megadeth again. But, you know, I didn't have to fucking see Dave Ellison fucking jerk off. Like, I yeah. heard some of this album and it. I fucking hate it. I hate it. It pisses me off. I could do a fucking hour ranting on this piece of shit. Oh, oh, oh. 
If I was half drowning An arm above the last wave man i i uh like you said i've never heard the whole thing and when and you I never first, will yeah and i never <laughs> will and when i first heard of the idea i thought well if it's gonna be like a punk album that might be okay it still probably won't be great but it might be a trip but it's not nothing like that it's not even like it doesn't have structures of songs so it's like it was dead before it even fucking came out. It was yeah, fucking stillborn motherfucking album. So yeah, that that's that was a huge but you know what? The the thing about Metallica is that it was so far from what they normally do and it didn't really affect I think the next album or or anything because the fans were like probably more ready for a real Metallica album than they would have probably been. So, in essence, yeah, it was it was jacked up. And for fucking people who bought it, because, I mean, I don't know how many it sold, but people bought it, right? For anyone who fucking trusted Metallica and went to the fucking store and bought it, fuck, they got fucking screwed. Yeah, it's fucking, yeah, well, let's see. Upon its release, Lulu received mixed reviews and an extremely negative response. From, from many fans and several prominent critics. Let's see. Uh, Lulu received an average score of 45 on uh, Metacritic. Uh, well, that's high. Um, I mean, that's like out of 100. I mean, yeah, yeah I guess it's still, it's, still it's a high <laughs> F. Yeah. But uh, I don't know how many it actually fucking sold. Um, it's, yeah, it's fucking shot. Like it. And that is the last album he did. So right. I'm correct in the sense that he fucking recorded the worst album in recorded history and then died. Yeah. Yeah, it's not certified anything. Yeah. <laughs> so it didn't yeah, sell for sure. shit. For um, sure. So it's just... What it is is... Nothing about it is fucking... It's the laziest Metallica riffs with fucking Lou Reed just old man rambling over it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so it's just not like the riffs aren't cool enough to even be worth listening to. They're just right. everything about it is boring. I don't know what the fuck Metallica like I under look, I can appreciate trying to do something different. Mm-hmm. But at some point you got to be in the studio and go like, dude, this sucks. We need to pull the plug on this shit. Like, yeah, For like sure. you said, it didn't really hurt Metallica in the long run, but. It really made me like because this came out after Death Magnetic, mm-hmm. so Death Magnetic had already redeemed Metallica in my eyes. I'm like, "Fuck, Metallica's back!" Mm-hmm. And then they're like, "Oh, they're gonna do a thing with Lou Reed." And like you said, I'm like, "This could be cool." I don't have anything against like the Velvet Underground or anything like right. that. And then I listen to it, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" And so now I'm like, "Does Metallica suck again?" Right. And then so, you know, so it really made me. It wasn't, it made me so like, you know, hardwired wasn't going to be an instant 
day one buy for me thanks right. to that. But, you know, the fact that they released some tracks ahead of time for Hardwire that were pretty sick is what sold me on it. I'm like, okay, good. They got that right. out of their systems. And Lou Reed's dead, so he can't do any more damage. So Right. There um, you go. You know, I don't want to sound like I'm happy Lou Reed died, but, you know, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> yeah. There you go. All right. Um, on the way out, I, I thought you were going to do a longer on uh, Gary Sharon. So I didn't so I didn't say anything about that, but that's definitely one of my mentions. But, you know, I in, in another situation where I thought the record company should have probably got involved. Again, I just think that that was the product of Eddie, who never listened to uh, people that told him, you know, oh, you guys should, you know, heavy metal's hot right now. You guys should be more heavy metal or uh, you should do a guitar album. Shredding is big right now. You know, you should. He never he just wanted to make music that he liked. And I guess he liked it. And he expected that everybody else would like it because they had always liked everything else that he did. So why wouldn't they? You know, and it just was a mis miscalculation by a dude who was, you know, now in his 40s and on drugs. Hey, whatever. One one bad album in, in, the, in the whole catalog is not that bad of a thing they realized it right away they didn't do three or four albums with with the dude in tours you know so they nipped it in the bud in a sense and really I, I think the misstep in all that was again feelings they should have done the Dave reunion then they had a kind yeah. of announced it it was supposed to happen but you know but then Oh, Eddie mentioned his hip. Dave told him not to. Dave was clowning around on the stage behind whoever, Beck, who they gave an award to, and Eddie didn't like it. So, again, it was egos and feelings, and that really, I mean, if they would have made an album then, who knows? That could have been a badass record, you know, and we didn't get it because of that, you know, egos and feelings and Eddie, you know, just wanting to do what he thought was good and didn't turn out to be that good. Yeah. I mean, I I decided not to talk about Gary Sharon too much because I figured I already took a steaming shit on Van Halen 3 when we were doing our Van Halen albums mm -hmm. countdown thing. And I kind of made my feelings pretty graphically known about that. Um, mm -hmm. And the fact that the best Gary Sharon song with Van Halen is like the worst Sammy Hagar song basically like <laughs> right it's yeah like was it without you is the best one on that album and it's not good right it would have been like one of the weakest Hagar songs from that era like so yeah it was just a shitty ass album apparently Eddie's that's the thing people like they really like that that Van Halen group especially they're very much like oh if you don't like everything, it's like you're disrespecting Eddie's genius. Now, fuck right. that, dude. That album sucks. Like, stop yeah. pretending you like it. You're, it is what if it you is. like this shit, you like... I don't know. I think you're just... Get his dick out of your mouth, dude. Like, <laughs> Eddie's, Eddie's not gonna fuck you. Right. <laughs> like, For sure. It's just... That's how I feel about that. It's just a fucking terrible... It was a terrible record. It was a terrible mistake that he made. Eddie was on drugs and old and yeah, if that's what he likes then he likes shitty things and it's mm -hmm. probably for the best that he wasn't allowed to write just what he likes all along. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. because what he liked was weird and I don't like it, you know, fucking people like, oh, there's some gems on that album. No, fuck you. Listen to Josephine and tell me that shit isn't fucking weird, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, fucking singing about some chick and, oh, I wonder what she was like as a kid. Why? Why are you fucking <laughs> wondering about that, man? Yeah. You're fucking weird. <laughs> Stop fucking trying. That's what the second Eddie sobered up for a minute and decided he needed to get involved in lyrics is the fucking death of Van Halen. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. I'm all riled up again. I was all yep. fucking riled up about Lulu. Now I'm pissed off. Like, the, that's my one two punch of fucked up albums. Yeah. I don't even, I couldn't even tell you what my third least favorite album is just because one and two I hate so much. Yeah. It's so strong. <laughs> it's a fucking strong hatred. It's like, yeah. well, I should never feel bad listening to a Van Halen album. Right. Um, Seven stars gotta be in there somewhere. Although it's actually yeah. better than those two. Much it's better, better than, than those, those two, but it's yeah. not great. That's right. another one of the uh that's just the fucking label. If it was just the Iomi record it wasn't yeah. part of the Black Sabbath canon. I don't think people would care about it as much. I just think it's a mediocre record that was never supposed to be Black Sabbath to begin with. So, right. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't like it, but it's not like my least one of my least favorite albums. Right. Uh, maybe I'll think on it and I'll get back to you and we can there do our uh, top our top five least favorite albums. Right? <laughs> like, there you go. But, you know, one and two, everybody already knows. So yep. I guess I got to. There it is. Do my top fucking eight and yeah. then stop or, you know. <laughs> right. I don't know. So I don't know if you got anything else, but let's, I'm ready to wrap this up. Yeah, we went a little longer records. than we than we expected to, but that's cool. So um, that's it for this episode of the Metal Shop Podcast. Until the next one, this is me, Big Frog. Me, Mike Castleberry. And we are out.